Hey, it's Cindy Howes and Lizzie No from the podcast Basic Folk, honest conversations with folk musicians. Basic Folk is truly changing the game with our well-researched deep dives that aim to empower the listener while fostering the folk community. I basically am writing worship music for youth group rejects. Maternal regrets and maternal guilt are universal. I try to make things that are beautiful and that are made with like a purity of intention. You can listen to Basic Folk on on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network or at basicfolk.com. Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment just never thought it would end up being there never thought we'd hear back from rounder yeah. never thought we would hear from rounder in the first place if this is your first time listening you can hear full interviews with jerry douglas allison brown bailiff fleck larry sparks jody stecker and so many more wherever you get your podcast thank you so much for listening later on Well, hello there, listeners, all you beautiful people. Well, today's episode honestly almost didn't happen. I thought long and hard about taking this step to uh, not only be vulnerable with you all and be interviewed myself for a harmonics episode, but also put out some music into the world that I never wrote or intended necessarily to be shared. It was truly therapy for me. But the whole reason that I started this podcast was to explore how creativity is healing and also to have creatives be open and honest about the messy bits the difficult challenges mental health-wise or physically, mentally, everything that goes into being a human, none of us get through life without the messy bits. And so how could I interview everyone else and hear their open and vulnerable takes on healing and the process of their creativity and not let you hear the same. But I'm really freaking nervous. And I just am so grateful to the brothers Corin, who are truly now like brothers to me. They're some of my closest friends after this. We've been working together for over a year and a half now. They have an incredible program called the Songwriters Journey, where they help anyone, singer, actor or not, uh, lawyers, accountants, they help you reclaim your big voice and reclaim your power and your creativity and your truth through that big voice. And as musicians themselves, they have played with Coldplay and Pink and Rod Stewart, arenas, but they decided that after so many years in the music industry, they really wanted to use their voice and their music and their incredible talents to help others. And I go into full detail in this episode with them about my process of working with them over the past year and a half and 
how they came into my life at one of the most difficult times for me in my life, especially my relationship to art and creativity. And I hope, and I'm scared, for you all to stay tuned to the end of this episode because we will be releasing the world premiere of our song, The Moon Will Stay. And at the end of the episode, I will tell you about writing the song about my pop-up and how the process went, and you will be able to hear the song. And this episode kicks off a very exciting month where you will be able to hear more of this album that me and the brothers Corin have created together. And then at the end of the month, you will be able to download and stream the album on Bandcamp, and all of your proceeds will go to some of my favorite charities. So stay tuned to the after show today (laughs) and follow my Instagram for more updates about how you can download this music and help some of my favorite mental health charities. And without further ado, here is Beth Bears being interviewed by the Brothers Corin. Woo woo! Hello, hello, Beth. Hi, sister. You guys don't even know, all you listeners, how much I love these boys. They've truly become my brothers, and I'm equal parts terrified and very excited for this episode. Perfect recipe. Perfect recipe of anything great in life. Sometimes you need that. I don't know about sometimes, maybe always, right? As you're you're, you're going toward the edge, excitement and uh, fear kind of combine in a beautiful cocktail. Amen to that. Yes. Well, let me first tell our listeners who you are. So these boys are incredible musicians. They're also incredible healers. They've toured with, gosh, uh, I'm going to let them tell you their their past touring experience, but they have this incredible program called Your Big Voice that I completed um, their year-long program uh, in 2020. <laughs> Perfect timing. And uh, they are truly some of my uh, closest friends now and also some of my most favorite musical talent and voices of our generation. So I'm just honored that they're here. And yeah, will you guys give sort of the backstory to to who you are and how you came to do what beautiful work you do? Thank you so much. You're, you're welcome on this podcast is, uh, is so generous to us. Um, we have had a, a beautiful 20 year journey together. Uh, we came to music separately but were catapulted into a relationship together musically when our fabulous mother uh, left Australia and headed out to, uh, to America to claim her own voice. And she was in the original cast of Hair. So cool. I nerd out about that all the time. I think that's awesome. <laughs> and she's, she's such a still to this day, you know, just a, a goddess of rock and roll in her own right. And uh, together we, Torald and I, set out um, one show at a time, one small venue at a time to, to share our, our music and to, to deliver a message of, of love over, over fear. 
I guess is, is how you could put it. And <clears throat> we had big, epic songs, big, open-hearted uh, love songs and, and universal love themes. Um, and we, we took it to the world. We really, we, we performed uh, to over a million people and got to play with, eventually got to play tour with Coldplay and Rod Stewart and, and did over 60 arenas with Pink. And 40 with Pink, but... 20 with someone with other people. <laughs> who's who's, but who's counting? Apparently we are. Apparently we are. <laughs> but, you know, in our journey uh, of discovery, you know, a huge part of what we discovered as brothers and as human beings, you know, living out or moving toward living out like truly the American dream, you know, like immigrant um, Australians here with this teenage dream idea to set out together in harmony and, and uh, from New York City, you know, take on the world and become a big band. Uh, you know, some of our goals we did miss. Um, there's some classic VH1 behind the music stuff. And I, I believe it's also ha- what has charged us mm. to know the valleys and the, and the hills of what it feels like to step out with your voice and, and say, hey, I have something to sing, you know. And along the way, we experienced so many different dynamic uh, moments. I mean, we truly started out at like happy hour on 30th street in Manhattan in a little dive bar thinking, you know, maybe this was a good beginning and um, <laughs> 20 people, 30 people, you know, the sidewalk cafe, sidewalk cafe, bit the bitter end on a Friday night. Uh, um, if you know any of these, you've been, you've spent time in New York all the way to Mercury Lounge and Barry Borum and then left and started touring and touring. And so like, we've been to the um, we, we've, we've stood on stages in environments where we've looked at each other and gone, how on earth are we playing this show to, on both sides of the fence yeah, to yeah. all the way to going wow how on earth are we, are we playing to twenty thousand people we've really lived that space with microphones in front of us and um the big takeaways for us um was it's you know one of them uh, in no particular order is uh it's so important for us to claim our own value mm. you know because what we found in ourselves especially when we signed to a major label was that we suddenly really cared, um, you know, what the label and, and, and the industry around us mm. wanted us to sound like. Suddenly we, we got caught in this kind of comparison um, of, of, you know, how we should sound. Instead of yeah. going inward uh, and, and listening to our own compass um, and going inward to find our sound. And so that's one of the big takeaways for us mm. is and, and that we'll never let happen to us and any of our beautiful artists that we've gotten to work with. On a break from touring, we actually, you know, discovered this gut feeling in in both of it, you know, both of us had it, which was we want to foster and nurture other voices to Mm. the forefront. And we thought it would be just in the music business, you know, maybe first time artists, um, particularly women. We always wanted to, you know, be brothers to, you know, voices that, um, you know, maybe we're influenced by other men in the industry. We want to like, you know, come around and say, well, what's your voice? What, what happens when we just, you know, un- uncover and discover and, and create a, a space for your mm-hmm. voice to be heard and written into, into your song and your songs. So we came out to LA to do it and we found ourselves in the classic, you know, LA scene, which we're still a part of. Um, and we just looked at each other this one particular day and, and said, this isn't it, is it? And we were both pretty frustrated by that re- realization because we'd moved our families out across from New York to LA. And so this one particular morning we said, well, if it's not this, if it's not playing the, the game, you know, of 
trying to write a hit with people you just met. What, what is it? And so the same idea that we do today came out the same beautiful idea that we got to do with you, Beth, which is what if we became someone's brothers and what if with their permission, we, we started from inception and headed out into the creative unknown and for multiple months, what if we got to know them? Uh, and what if we got to hold up a creative reflective mirror, um, where we, you know, took a deep dive into who they were, um, from all of these different stages and games and, uh, coaching and mentoring, we, we felt like we could provide and also that we wished we'd had, you know, and we'd had some great people along the way. Don't, don't get us wrong, but we still felt like there was, there was a way we could have been nurtured. Um, and so we thought, what if we put that together? So we did two weeks later, someone asked us, do you work with a first time artist? We said, yes. In fact, we've just put this journey together. And here we are six years later, 150 human beings, you being one of them, um, thousands of voices. We, we get to work with um, companies and teams on expression and creativity. We get to work with rooms of people. Uh, however, on a private, deep artist discovery, um, we've helped privately around 150 people arrive at a new body of work through EPs, albums. And it's the same journey today. Everyone is absolutely both universal and distinct and original at the same time, which is why when you dive in for multiple months to truly unpack the you that they are, the them that they are, um, that we find that two things happen. One, that human being realizes the music they've just got to make and together we make it. And the other thing they realize is, oh my God, I'm not just distinct and fascinating and original. I'm what we find is people form a new relationship to finding themselves fascinating, you know, no longer having to be under the spell of comparison and competition that the industry has haunted us with. Let's be honest. And that's in the film business. That's in the music world hmm. that that begins to topple. And we begin to remember that the greatest artists and voices of our time uh, gave themselves the courage and, and curiosity to fall in love with who they were and then broadcast that out. And for them, it just happened to work and they found an audience and all the greats kind of did that. And then we get often lost in the mechanism trying to repeat success. So we just, you know, to us, we're just old school and our brother developers really that really care about the human voice. And the stories that need the to big be difference is that we believe truly that everyone is a singer. I love this because so many people are told that they don't have a great voice or that they're off pitch or that they can't sing. And that's one of the things I love that you you are like everybody has a big voice inside them and everybody should be allowed to go through discovering what that is for them and be able to sing their truth. Yes. And, and also that so much of our personal power is held in our voice. Yeah. In fact, we weren't born with claws or a heavy tail or any, any other protective mechanism, but I truly believe, and so did Darwin believe that our evolutionary step is our voice and the power of our voice and the opportunity for transformation often lies in our voice. And even though it's so powerful, you know, um, it's also so vulnerable. And so, you know, the whole adage of, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. It's not true. One word, <laughs> one word, one word, like shut up or yeah. you can't sing yeah. or maybe a little quieter. Yeah. You, know. you know, one word can do a lifetime's worth of mm. damage and shut someone down. Yeah. 
And uh, not that there's not an opportunity there for, for transformation and it doesn't have to be a bad thing, but yeah, on the other side of that shutdown is huge growth potential. And what we've found is that, uh, you know, there's so much healing in the voice and what happens in the voice uh, affects other areas in the body. And, mm. you know, so there's so much whole health uh, that we've found in yeah. the voice and by accident, we didn't set out to really do this like Tarot said. So yeah. all this is beautiful news to yeah. us. And we have something very important to do, which is to Talk maybe still the, uh, voice. maybe still the host interview mine. Uh, right oh about boy. Now. I'm so like nervous about this. You guys i have done it so many times on other people's podcasts, but because it's about my voice, which I truly feel is, the most vulnerable part of all the art forms that I've practiced. Uh, I'm very nervous, but like I said, I can't think of better, safer, more wonderful friends and artists to do this with. So <laughs> we are, we are honored equally. And, you know, just to say from our vantage point, you know, we, we got to meet Beth um, through a mutual friend um, that, and we we had this opportunity to to connect and and Beth said yes to going on a deep songwriter's journey with us. Uh, and as we dove in, we we got to unpack the the, the beautiful journey that you've been on around your voice, um, around the music that's moved you. And over the last year through 2020, we made an album, and we're here to a beautiful album. talk about not just that, but also the voice that you have uncovered again mm. the voice that and how you found you know music being your medicine just like it is ours and many people that you've um, had on your podcast so let's just start really start simply. from the beginning yeah well tell us about you know growing up how was music and singing for you i don't remember this but my my grandmother when i was a newborn well probably not a newborn one or two maybe i don't know she was rocking me and she was singing to me and she ran downstairs to tell my parents that I was matching. I started singing back, matching the pitch. So she called like right away, like she's a singer. She's going to be a singer. Um, and my first memories are music. Uh, my grandma played the piano. So sitting at the piano with her, apparently I acted out the entire sound of music film front to back, up and down uh, the stairs, being one of the so long farewell kids constantly. And my parents put me in, my grandma sort of cultivated it, but they put me in, you know, theater camp, musical theater camp right away because they were like, this mm. kid loves it. So I don't really remember a time where music and arts acting wasn't sort of just already in my bones. But I, I've, as I got older, I had a really tumultuous relationship with it in the sense that I studied classical voice, which is amazing and i have been blessed that that i have a classical soprano but it's also super rigid and i spent all of my high school years like taking voice lessons on the weekends and not going to parties or drinking or whatever because i was like so dedicated to my voice and wanted to study it to go to broadway someday was mm -hmm. my goal um but looking back now and after our journey together the classical voice training for me um took away a little bit, I think, of where my true voice lived. Mm. And I don't feel like I ever heard myself actually sing until I was with you guys in the studio and and doing the songs that we had worked on together. And um, and I'll always love Broadway. And, you know, I've had some heartbreak with that Broadway world in the sense that, like, you know, my dream role of Eliza Doolittle, My Fair Lady, I studied 
after Two Broke Girls, I, you know, I got the opportunity to audition. I studied for months and got my voice back into shape and, and went through all these auditions and, um, and, uh, didn't enjoy it at all. It was, I was anxious the whole time singing at Lincoln center in front of all these, uh, people that were deciding my fate, you know, I didn't enjoy it till the last note of I could have danced all night. And it should have been what my little girl childhood dream I was, you know, getting to finally, even if it was just for those few auditions experience, what it was like to play Liza Doolittle. And, and I think walking out of there after experiencing the sort of process of getting there that wasn't very positive and then how relieved I was when it was over and then the hope that maybe this would change my life and my career and then waiting we had to wait a full weekend everybody who was up for Eliza Doolittle and I finally got the call that I didn't get it and it was like a relief and I was kind of numb and then a few weeks later I was on the bathroom floor and it was like the worst blow ever. And I did not sing for two years after that until I met you guys, which was the first time in my whole entire life that I wasn't singing. And the way that we came together, as you guys said, was as an artist, as a creative, I was done. I had nothing left. And I just wasn't even sure I wanted to do this anymore, acting, anything. It was just, it was a really hard experience. And then Nikki Reed, a dear friend of ours, had posted mm. something on her uh, Instagram about you two and Torald's, you know, own journey with panic and anxiety and how you guys come together to to have people find their voice through this um through this musical journey of songwriting. And I texted mm. her and and it was like a no-brainer when we first got on that zoom call like i saw you guys and just your energy right away and i felt so safe with you and what you were saying about music and this voice resonated so deeply within me it was like a complete no-brainer and um you've changed everything because it, i'll never look at singing and music the same way again after our journey in a great way <laughs> yeah and i found my creativity again like it was it was gone. And now I just love everything I do. <laughs> Isn't it powerful how disappointment can also shut us down? You know, it, we don't even need to be told anything. It's, it's sometimes that, you know, what we hope for doesn't happen. And so suddenly we internalize that in a series of small voices, we call them as opposed to your big voice. The small you know, voices. So, yeah, that was exactly yeah. what the My Fair Lady audition to me, it, the perfectionism and the classical voice training trained me so as a perfectionist that I was never going to be good enough. I was never going to be good enough. And then the disappointment is right. they told you you're not good enough. You didn't get the role. And it's like. Exactly. Right. It was cemented from in that a, same language. Yeah. In a world where comparison is the basis point, mm -hmm. you know, the, the is the way in which we are determined to put into roles, it's hard to avoid, mm. but what we can have control over, what we can choose, choose is which of those small voices we are going to listen to and act from. Mm. So maybe we can't help but have the, I'm not good enough, small voice go off and say, Hey, you're not good enough for this. You know? Okay. I hear you. Yeah. But do, does that mean I'm going to follow that small voice today or tomorrow, yeah. you know, and, and perfection, yeah. you know, it's like, can we ever be perfect? And if we can, how long does that moment last? <laughs> so, you know, do we give up striving for it? 
Perhaps no, but but if we don't match or if we don't attain that perfection based on our own opinion or someone else's, you know, how do we how do we change our behavior according to that? You know, mm. can we stay free and open like say a child or a kindergartner in the play space of our voice? You know, can we yeah. stay open and free with our voice yeah. regardless, you know, of what the small voices are saying to us? And did, quickly, did, you know, I have a question for you, Beth, around your voice, because you, you just touched it so beautifully. You know, firstly, you know, a simple definition to us of what the small voice is. And, you know, when we first came across it, we were like, oh, my God, it's the perfect metaphor yeah. for us being called your big voice. And when we discovered it, we were so excited because we were like, well, what a great way to visualize and be, uh, you know, be objective toward these. And the definition being so simple. Uh, negative leaning and notice that and and everyone listening notice that anything negative leaning and automatic that triggers in our mind and body any thought feeling sensation emotion that is automatically triggered in reaction to a moment that happens to be negative leaning uh, we define as a small voice that's worth unpacking looking at and giving uh, some impartial spectator or witness to um, before you believe it's you so we look at that as the small voices and uh, we also believe that those small voices aren't our enemies at all in fact trying to get rid of them creates the the very mental dis-ease um, and for some mental illness uh, uh, that actually they stoke the flames by trying to fix them rather than bring them under your wing. There's often a lot of wisdom for us lying in those small voices. They're pointing to the work that we're here to do and, and often to the the beautiful wounds that if we can sing into those wounds, then we have an opportunity to connect to the tribes of other people that also feel those small voices and can relate. So let's talk about yours, Beth. You brought up two of what we feel like are the top five, you know, I'm not good enough and I'm not, it's not perfect. But so take us back to like your childhood. What was your relationship to your voice? When did that shift? Like at what age do you feel like you got wounded around your voice and, and, and how, how did that affect your twenties and, and create like a different relationship? It was, I know exactly when it was. It was when I started college for musical theater. Uh, all of a sudden, I just, I had a, a, a Broadway callback, actually for Wicked, weirdly to replace Kristen Chenoweth in Wicked. And I just remember immediately, because the pressure of that opportunity was so high, going to I'm not enough. And from that exact audition on, forever music or singing auditions, even like I auditioned for Amanda Seyfried's part, Mamma Mia, like even anything I had to do that was on film for singing, I would go into the audition feeling never enough, not good enough. There's like, you're, you're just not there, which as a child, as a teenager studying voice, it was always for joy. It Mm. never felt like work. And you know, the, I don't know if you guys have seen the Fran Lebowitz, Martin Scorsese documentary that's on Netflix, yes, but she said, I, um, I loved writing and still until I started getting paid for writing and then I hated it. And I literally paused the documentary and I was like, oh, it, singing for me didn't shift until it became about a, like a professional job where you're getting money, which means if you're not good enough, 
they can fire you, right? There's an end to your joy, <laughs> potentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that really resonated with me. And even I actually remember having a long talk with Josh Groban about this because we both grew up kids who loved music and theater. And he was like, well, Beth, you know, it's never going to be camp like camp the way right. camp felt again and i i'm honestly <laughs> still wrestling with that but i think being able to do the program we did together and writing from this place with you all that my small voices were a part of the process like you said almost a gift of the process has now and even i think my biggest struggle with anxiety and panic attacks has been trying to find a cure like, give me the man with the snake oil who's going to take away what meditation do I do? What form of yoga? I've tried it all. I've done it all. Right. Michael calls me the girl who will go with the man with the snake oil, you know, to try to go away. And then when I met you all, you said, no, 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 that's not the no, that's not what we're doing. You have to carry that anxiety under your arm and carry yes. it with you as a part of you and embrace it. And so now that's truly where everything I do comes from, even my acting, like there's such now a pureness to that. That's even though it's my job for a living, I'm finding so much more joy after our year together. Mm -hmm. So thank How you. Amazing. <laughs> it's, it's, such a, oh it's such a pressure for us to have our, have everything together and be, mm -hmm. you know, untouchable or, you know, unfazable and unshakable and really, our power lies in our ability to admit that we're anxious or we're afraid or that, mm. that we're human, you know, all of these things, vulnerability mm. um, is so powerful. And so the top five, you know, what I'm, I'm curious, what other small voices have come in around your voice? So, so some of the other ones are, you know, so I'm not, I'm not good enough. Um, it's not, it's, it's not perfect. Um, but there's also, I'm not worthy and mm. I'm unsafe Mm. And I'm too much. Uh, yeah. Some of the other ones, you know, that come in, and I feel like that unsafe small voice, especially in an uh, environment where you're being judged, mm. you know, like a like a school for music, where it's like it's about judgment. They mm. have to judge you, otherwise they can't, you know, mm. identify you as yeah. valuable or fit for the role right so there's only one person for the role so to speak right so tell us about judgment tell us about safety and 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 the voice for your in your experience well it's interesting because as you said that <laughs> the music to me is a safe place so mm. like my spirituality you know i grew up in organized religion and i didn't enjoy that but the one part i took away from feeling connected something higher to myself was when the church choir and band would play and just thinking about it now when you're alone or you're in a spiritual moment and you're singing in your car or the shower or in your bedroom or whatever there's sort of just this channel and this connection between you and something higher than yourself and that feels really safe but then like you said the unsafety I think comes in when we want, when we bring in another either person or uh, pressure to the situation. Um, and unfortunately, if you want to be an artist, there's always going to be either someone watching or someone listening. You're not in that sacred space. And so I don't know how you guys feel about this, but this is just off the cuff, but I kind of feel like that is the sacred space when you're alone. And we mm. definitely cultivated that together in our 
recording. Like I felt safer in my voice than I ever have. And because we had sort of set the goal, not as this album has to <laughs> make money and be like that Beth Bears is singing on an album, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because we made it as this is my time to discover through my voice my power mm. and who I am, yes. then it did become that sacred container. And even in the recording, I was alone. You guys were sitting outside of the booth and I, I could see you if I needed to get that support. But like, I just felt like overtaken with that same sort of, I guess you would call it spirituality or mm. um, connection to something bigger than myself that yes, I, I loved. It's amazing. And and it was yes. exactly that. And, you know, another way to, to hold, to hold what you're saying, uh, and this affects all of us is we, we get conditioned to, to move externally. Like we, we suddenly look outside us for the cues that, that we're doing a good job or that it is beautiful or it's approved of or liked or acknowledged. And so, and this is not just about the voice, but the voice is, is really at the center of everybody's life. You know, whether or not you sing or you're someone who consider yourself an I can't singer uh, or someone who can't stop singing, regardless. And if it's a profession for you or it was a teenage dream or you haven't done it since you're a kid, regardless of that, that you are walking around at all times as this distinct and what we call whole body instrument that you've been given this lifetime that is designed acoustically to sound out and communicate as to how it feels to be you and to transact and to thrive in this world. We must be in our communication, be in our voices. However, most of us have been like disassociated and disenfranchised from our connection and power. And mostly, and I would say mostly it's the small voices that have um, inhibited mm. uh, someone, which you've been through, which I've been through um, very deeply. And so has Isaac. Mm. But it's this other thing too, which is the culture that we've set up in the West has been almost purely based on external gratification and approval to, to take that tribal ancient uh, bio, biology of fitting into the tribe. But we have, we have gone, we've moved out and the mechanism of being good and being great and being satisfied was based on others. And so really what we're talking about is we take that power back when we turn back inward instead mm. of facing out to the crowd and saying, am I there yet? And we suffered through that. I mean, you're looking at two brothers that were almost hell bent at becoming the next Coldplay. We opened for Coldplay. Uh, we, <laughs> we definitely came far from the little beach town in Sydney that where we dreamed where we dreamed of it. However, we were constantly chasing our tail, trying to get to this place that others would put us. Yeah. And yeah. it wasn't until we turned back around and went, well, what is it of us that we are moved by, number mm. one? And what is it of us that we need to share? And can we now have no attachment to the result that that produces? First and foremost, so mm. can we make art out of this moment mm. of being these intelligent life beings that we mm. all are and so with your journey beth we turned around and we said hey let's fall in love with you and can you do that at the same time mm. and can you get so into yourself that we unpack for multiple months what it is that you are i mean i'm an actress <laughs> so you know the answer can, yeah. can i get into myself i mean lordy <laughs> I'm just to bring it back to what you said before like it, 
you know, for me, I, 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 what I look for now in a recording is, am I singing to, to God? You know, am I singing to the highest part of me? You know, yeah. am I there with that? Am I dancing with, you know, we weren't brought up religious, so I can say God and I don't feel weird about it. Um, but yeah, higher power God, but yes. And so if that's, if that's the new goal, mm. can I be with God through like walking through the doorway, our own heart, mm. the doorway of our own heart to this direct connection with God, mm. you know, that to me is like, you know, way more than opening up or being Coldplay or whatever, you know, to me, that's like, that's why I'm here. Right. And, um, just to go back to Fran, good old Fran, I love the show, oh but she's so something good. she said that really got me, got me, rubbed me the wrong way yeah. and like activated me. She was like, you know, do your art by all means, do your art, but don't share it if it's not great. <laughs> I know. I remember her saying that too. Every small like, voice, oh. every small voice about- in all of us artists yeah. is like, ah, oh, shit. Why are we yeah. even doing that? I know. Yeah. And that's precisely what we're out here doing. You know, I wouldn't say Isaac and I, uh, we're, we're less on a crusade and more on a mission and would be happy to debate Fran. our methodology. Oh, absolutely. Fran, bring it on. Bring it. Here's the deal. Here's what we believe that we're here born to sound out what it feels like to trust and put ourselves in creative harm's way and trust the expression that we have to fall curiously and fascinatingly in love with what it is that we wish came, comes through us or that we're being given to come through us and that we nurture that by gathering experiences and that all we do then is share it willingly without attachment to the result. And that's everyone living out. I mean, we use the word purpose everywhere right now, but that's everyone living out their purpose. And that could be being the most amazing mother. That could be being the most incredible advocate uh, for mental health, um, creating an incredible startup business that gives back to the community. It could be anything or song. And yeah, it's scary to say, I want to be an actor. You know, it's scary to say, I want to be a rock star and I want to be a singer. It's a scary path, but it's, if it's in you find a way to bring it into your life, find a way to integrate it. So let's talk about exactly that, but your album, like, can we talk about exactly what it is that you dug up the gold? You know, we talk about like sifting through the dirt for the gold. Like, can we get juicy and get our hands dirty and into like some of the the conversations you had to have with your yourself to get real enough to dig in and sing from, you know, your truth. Yeah. Well, the beautiful part of our journey together, I loved how we began it with, um, you music, it's music cosmology where you sort of get to connect with the music that makes you full of so much joy. And for months I was just listening to, music that I've loved growing up or music that just always touches me. And the, for me, a mental health practice that I've been doing for a long time is I have trouble like uh, (laughs) expressing it out loud. And I tend to disassociate when I have um, overwhelming emotion or feelings, but I've always written poetry, like even since I was a little girl. And so a lot of when we were working together and some of the things we were uncovering in my personal life or challenges I'd had growing up uh, started to come out in poem form. And that to me, it's so kind of crazy. Don't you think how it came together? Because I guess we should tell people, but Isaac and Torold wrote the music, all of the, the music. And then 
I put the words to the music, but almost every song was from poetry that I'd written. And one of our songs, so I lost my grandma in April, double pneumonia, could have been COVID. They didn't have testing. It was very at the beginning of April. We don't know. It doesn't matter. But um, they gave us a day that we could say goodbye on FaceTime. And gosh, so sorry. um, That I couldn't express my emotions um, like to her just by myself. So I wrote it down the night before and then I read her this poem. And then Mm. the song that you guys, the music that you had put, it just seemed to fit perfectly to this poem that I had written to say goodbye to my grandma. So that became our song, uh, It Fills Your Heart. And now every time I hear that, it's the words I said goodbye to my grandma with. And so it's, yeah, it's like, I don't know. It's beyond just like an album that like, I don't even care if anybody listens and feels anything because I felt something when we were making it and it was something that, and that's the whole point, right? Of what I'm supposed to, what art can and should be is like, it's, it was healing. It was truly like talk therapy. I've gone through for years because of my anxiety and being in this crazy industry, as we all know, but there's something somatically that singing did for me to release um, and heal. And, and I mean, even George Floyd, the night George Floyd was killed and the, and the protests and all of that, I couldn't get my emotion out. So it, I wrote a poem and then that poem turned into a song as well for us that just seemed to fit with emotion overdrive of, of your music. And it just, it kind of amazes me now to talk about it, but just how, you also us together we just sort of there was like this crazy energetic connection that just seemed to fit and uh for me the process of writing that those poems was like because i couldn't figure out how to heal any other way um yeah and and even like family ancestral trauma you know my sister's a rape survivor i found out other matri like lineage with with family uh, that there's been so much trauma and sexual assault. And so burn on horseback became that. And I just, I can't wait for, for anybody who's listening also to like discover this more for themselves, like whether or not they sign up for your program and do the incredible work, or if they can just somehow go back to music as healing for them and their voice letting out, even if you don't write the song, but singing along to your favorite song from childhood, you know, Jules hands, like that song hands. I I remember singing Mm -hmm. it in church, you know, and like, it was my big Mm -hmm. solo. And it was like, now every time I hear that song, there's something I'm connected to. Um, Mm. And yeah, I, I think our our quote unquote writing the album process was really like my therapy. <laughs> it was like the what t- it did for me, what talk therapy has not been able to do. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Well, you know, it's it's mm. therapy in, pro- in process. Well, another way to say it is music is just this me- medicinal thing for all of us. And um, for almost all of us. I think there's been only a few people that have come up to us and said, I, music's nothing for me. And, you know? particularly, and particularly the power of hearing our own voice mm. recorded mm. Uh, because it's, it's the witness witnessing that you are here. 
right? And ultimately, we just, we, we want to know that this is not a dream and that we want to know that there's a reason why we're here and that we're okay. Yeah. And when we're singing, all of those things are possible. Mm. And, but particularly when we're listening to ourselves sing uh, in such a way that we can learn to love it. Can we love our own voice? Because so many mm. people cringe when they hear their own voice recorded. Mm. And, and probably everyone listening, you know, as Isaac said, you know, can we love our own voice? I'm sure many, many people went, nope. Well, <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, yet. remember the first day of listening back to our tracks? It took mm -hmm. everything I had not to leave that studio. Because I don't mm. watch back acting. I don't watch back the show or takes. Yeah. Yeah. And so you guys were like, no, we're going to. And by the end of it, I was like, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I think actually you walked around the block a couple of times and came back. Yeah, you told like, me. Yeah, you I'm were like, down. I think you need to take a minute because I really yeah. could not sit with myself listening to myself. I mean, that's that's but, sad now thinking about but, it. But, but now, now that you've got this beautiful album um, and say you wake up and you're feeling, you know, flat or energetically low. What happens when you listen to one of your songs? Oh, man. I mean... I, I genuinely enjoy listening. Like I, I, if I'm missing my grandma, that's the one I tend to go back to, um, just because it was so recent that I've lost her and I, I still grieving. Um, but I'll put that on and she loved music and yeah. she would have been so proud of this and so happy. They've told me for years, like, why are you singing Bethy? She called me Bethy. Yeah. Um, uh, and so, yeah, it's, uh, it's sort of a connection to, I guess it's a connection to all maybe those emotions I suppressed for a long time that, you know, anxiety usually comes from when we're suppressing something that we're not allowing ourselves to feel fully. Yes. So by yes. listening to the music and, you know, if I'm having a day where I'm sad, it's okay. I'm not going to suppress this. I'm going to embrace this sadness and listen back and feel it to heal it. <laughs> Uh, it doesn't get old and and it doesn't and and you know another way to say that beth which you've done so incredibly is that you you know what came to the surface of what became possible was that you could feel what was you know previously unfeelable again yes. right and so as human beings when we finally find the safe the safety or the courage or the combination of those two things to feel the unfeelable within our own minds and body we actually you know, nature takes over, you know, the healing mm. process begins, things unfold. And most importantly, we get our colors back mm. you know, we get a spectrum of expression back. And, um, you know, what, I guess my, you know, you said so much. And one of the things that I just love that you said was, you know, it's not important, um, how people receive this music. I'm already so into it. You know, I'm, I'm using my own words, but you, I, I'm already proud of this. And that is just such a breakthrough that mm. if we, all of us as human beings were so proud of ourselves about what we were up to in the world. And then we said, Hey, I want to share this with you without any attachment to the result that you'll love this, or you'll be touched. But I want to share this with you because I'm proud of it. And, um, and I, and, and to be able to do that with no rebellion or need, but just want, and I see that in you. So as you approach the release of your album, you know, uh, Tell us about how that feels. Like, what does it feel like? You know, what does it bring up for you imagining sharing this music with your, with your world and the world? Well, uh, I think 
what was most important that we've discussed too, that we're going to do is that because this was such a healing gift to me, I want to be able to take the proceeds and give it as a healing gift to others. And so we've talked about it will first live on Bandcamp and the only way you'll be able to listen is if you uh, donate and then we'll donate all the proceeds to mental health charities. Amazing. Um, so that makes me feel, I never wanted it to feel like, um, I guess the word would be performative or, um, it's hard when it's something that's so vulnerable to you. I have no fucking idea what it's going to be like for anyone else to listen. And that's okay. Like you said, like, I don't, I don't care if it, if it touches one person, lovely. It was, it was something that I think as we discussed too, cause we discussed maybe not ever releasing it and that it was sort of, um, my therapy, my journey of finding my voice. But I think the end of the journey is sharing your art, not saying what Fran Leibowitz did and, and sharing your art no matter what, because it was truthful to me. And I think yes. art's subjective no matter what, right? Like yeah. some of the top artists in the world can release a second album or uh, even their first and nobody listens or whatever. It doesn't, actors, mm. you know, they could, they have, we've, I mean, I've done things that nobody's seen, but that were so fulfilling to me. And why shouldn't mm. that live on? You know, yes. um, and and I do think even after everything we've been through in 2020 and now with 2021, seeing sort of even at Joe Biden's inauguration, how art like the poet Amanda Gorman and then music. I don't know about you guys, but there was something to me that was like, oh, right. It's art is still the healing solve of the world. It's yes. still the way that we all express this release of emotion or this communion of coming together. Yes. And so why not share it? It doesn't matter. You know, it's, it's art is made to be shared. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. It's selfish not to. Yes. So, agreed. Especially if maybe the one song about, you know, George Floyd or ancestral trauma or whatever hits someone on the level that it was, it allowed me to feel and yeah. express how deeply sad or emotional I was, you know, if, if, if one other person goes, Oh, I feel that in my gut, I'm not alone. Yeah. Then great. It's the same way I feel about this podcast. I wanted to start it and have people take, you know, even if they take one thing from this podcast about their small voices and they decide they're going to keep it under their elbow and not fight the small voices anymore, but embrace it and learn to see it as a gift then that's enough reason to do this podcast. If we had one listener and they got that, you know? Yeah, so, totally. and I think that's the way you two have now come after your experiences in the industry have come to approach art, which is what has made you so successful in being advocates for people like me. Oh, well, and, and, and what an, and what an incredible experience it's been. And, you know, can you said camp and there's like a really fun aspect of the, our recording experience. Oh you yeah. Know, <laughs> we were so goofy. <laughs> Too. It wasn't <laughs> <No>. all serious. <laughs> it wasn't all serious. And, you know, the songwriter's journey, you know, went over, you know, most of the year. And then we arrived together um, at, under strict COVID protocol, of course, and recorded you safely here in, in, in Ojai, California. And uh, it was a bit of a camp. In fact, you know, after the week of being together recording, it did feel like, like that last night on the, like of the it show. To leave. It you know, was it, so it was sad. Like, oh, it felt oh. like closing night. Yeah. Of like a show. Yeah. We no, had yeah. so much fun. We did some musical robberies, which can we please tell them what the musical robbery is? Let's this is something yeah. the Corrin's created that I think is the funniest thing of all time. 
Well, and luckily you, you, you got it. And, and just full props, you not only got it when we told you what we used to do, but you said, let's go do one. So like straight we did away. one. You, you have to tell them what this musical <laughs> yeah, yeah. is. It started with this idea and, and it was born out of, um, you know, I think Isaac and I were so uh, deeply frustrated with our chase for success that we, we had to find an outlet and deep on tour many years ago uh, in the tour van after a bad show. Uh, we ended up at a diner and we felt as disgruntled as the uh, beginning of Pulp Fiction. Uh, <laughs> and we were sitting there and we're like, you know, like, I don't know who first said it. We're like, what if we went out, um, grabbed a guitar and like, r- like ran back into this diner uh, and just screamed like it was the beginning of Pulp Fiction. Like nobody move. This is a musical robbery. And Isaac was like, yeah, that's like, Isaac was like, that's what I'll do. And I'll come in like strumming the guitar our drummer shaker like, will be sitting at a table ready to beat on it with his hands. And so we, we did this and we paid the bill first because way too many nice, times. Nice, nice, nice customers. And they were pretty still freaked out. Oh, they were like, Oh, that's the same guys. We did it. We <laughs> ran out and we were, um, we were just, honestly, it felt like a shot of adrenaline. It was like a, it was like a, it was just the most amazing feeling of being a performing artist, like robbing a space with music just felt so exhilarating. So we got hooked to be honest. And so over the course of about three years, we would musical uh, do musical robberies everywhere we went and, and all around the world. Yeah. yeah, All around the world. We ended up um, even when we're on Interscope, we, we, we had like a sponsorship from GoPro and we started filming this whole series. It didn't end up getting broadcasted, but we robbed like, the rock and roll hall of we fame. We have to bring this back. You uh, guys, this it is, was, we, do. we did we planes. Need, we need you. We need planes. You needed libraries. You need we, a lady. we were just waiting for you. Yeah. You need a lady because Pulp Fiction's like, or, you yeah. know, whatever. Some of those, there was always a beautiful lady doing, yeah. doing the, well, and also, uh, the ladies, it makes it a little less scary when you first say this is a musical robbery. <laughs> you were pretty scary though. Like scary. you got all it's your always, shoulders. It's white men with this like terrorizing I know. I know. no we need we need you so but we will but let's, props let's off. you you approached like it was nobody's business and yeah. you 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 held it down we so that was read an outdoor uh we did an outdoor yogurt shop we sang. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we did a butcher. We, we did, did a butcher. butcher shop, a butcher, <laughs> and we did it in masks, which was adorable we too. And we, we stayed very far away and outside, um, but we yeah. had so much fun that recording week. We're, we we got to do it again at some point. We, we, we're gonna have to do a musical do robbery together, a, uh, a, a very official one um, in 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 our future together. And you know, I uh, you know I can't wait to continue our conversation around your voice, your music, and, you know, we're going to be your advocates and brothers forever. So I'm anything you ever so do us, we'll be there. Yes. We're, we're like, we're set for life now together. You can't get rid of me. Yeah. I can't <laughs> wait to sing these, you know, yeah. at least one yeah. of these songs. Yeah. yeah. Everyone, everyone definitely um, get ready to hear these beautiful yeah. gems. What would you say to someone who's sitting there with small voices, uh, you know, that, perhaps put music aside, you know, what would you, what words of encouragement would you give them in this moment? Mm. This is from you guys. So I can't take credit for this phrase, but dare to suck. (laughs) Perfect. You know, get into the arena as Brene Brown would say, you know, dare Mm -hmm. to suck, dare to be vulnerable because what have you got to lose really? 
I mean, mm-hmm. if you really think about it at the end of the day, and I think gratitude does this, which is like, there's always something to be grateful for. And when you go to that place, then why wouldn't you dare to suck? You can't mm. lose the things that are most important, you know? Mm-hmm. And if you really can put it, put past all the small voices and the anxiety and the insecurity and judge worry of judgment, it's like, it comes back to that. I think dare to suck and get in the arena and give it a whirl. <laughs> we'll support yes. you. The three of us got your back no matter what. So you can, you can tag us on Instagram with your big voices and we will be yeah. so happy to see <laughs> that you're, you're hey. getting in the arena and daring to suck. That is for sure. And, uh, you know, if, if, if anyone has a, a heart to, to step in and use the voices, this medium, you know, find us in the world, um, and find a way to, to do it anyway, just find a way to do it. Scared and excited at the same time. That's called the ingredients we must probably, probably need to do anything that's going to be transformative and opening for us, uh, as humans. Absolutely. so you have some questions that you oh ask others. Oh my God, I've been stressing out you guys about answering these questions because I've asked now Why? Brandy Carlisle and so many people <laughs> these like, you know, three records. And last night I'm like, I can't pick three, but I have to. Everybody else does and all these things. So, all right, hit me with your best shot, as Pat Benatar would say. All right. So <laughs> if, if, <laughs> if uh, you can only bring three records with uh, you to a deserted island and only three, uh, what would they be and why and why? Well, y'all know my Lord and Savior is Dolly Parton. So obviously a best of Dolly record because Dolly always makes me happy. If I'm sad and I put on Dolly, always happy. Oh, this is so hard. Oh. Joni Mitchell's Clouds for sure. I know. It's between that and blue, but I listened to Clouds record more than blue. Um Talk about a poet, a painter, the epitome of a true, true artist. True. Um, I love everything Brandi Carlile. I love everything Courtney Marie Andrews. You got to pick one more. Uh, You've got two, though. What about our album? So that if I'm feeling emotional, oh. I can connect to my grandma. Boom, I win this. Yes, I won. did it. We I did won it. harmonics. I win. You won. I'm going to say you ours. You win. <laughs> You won. You won. You won. Well, well done. Thank All right. you. Great three uh, records. Amazing. Just, um, for, just for the record, pun intended, Joni Mitchell's Clouds is uh, my favorite record of all time. I listened uh, to so that I, record a lot. I, I wrote a lot of our stuff on the beach. Like a lot of poems came out on the beach when I was trying to figure out my big, big voice over that year. And I played Clouds. Try this sometime if you live in LA. Play clouds going up and down the PCH. Oh my God. It's mm-hmm. the best to have the ocean there and listen to clouds. Anyway. I'm doing that later. Yeah. Right. Uh, okay. So what subject do you Google the most? Okay. So since I was younger, before we had Google, because yes, I'm old enough to remember like when that didn't exist, I realized that when I was younger, I was obsessed with reading autobiographies and biographies. And I think what I Google the most is people's backstory, which is hilarious because now I have a podcast where I like get to know people's creative and they're usually creatives or I've been really into um, like natural health and scientists and like neuroscientists who are studying neural reprogramming and all of that. So 
Googling people's origin stories, which makes sense as a storyteller <laughs> that I'm really obsessed yeah. with that. But even like, I just watched Bridgerton and I'm like, oh my God, where did this lovely girl come from? She's such a wonderful actress. <laughs> I was like Googling her backstory. Cause I also find it fascinating. Like who knew she had artist parents and you're like, oh wow. You know, anyways, so mm, backstories and I still read, I love autobiographies. Like they're my favorite Martin shorts. Okay. Oh, so good. All right, final question. Your blank room exercise. Close your eyes. Okay. Go into a blank room. And what are you hearing? What are you smelling? What are you tasting? What are you touching? And what are you seeing? I'm hearing really like choral classical sort of music. Hmm. Um what is it? What am I? What are you smelling? What am I smelling? Pine. Nice. <laughs> and <laughs> what, what are you tasting? What am I tasting? Warm tea. Mm. And what are you touching? My husband's hand. And what are you seeing? <sighs> oh, everybody else on this journey to uh, combat any of their small voices and know that they're enough. Mm. Beautiful. You are <laughs> Thank very much you guys. beautiful and more than enough. The, 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 uh, you know, what an interesting idea, you know, that we, we each are on these journeys to remember that there's not even... There's not even a question of enoughness. It's not more or less. It's just is, you know. Mm. And, and it's just such an honor to witness you on that experience last year together using so using music and and forming a new relationship to your voice as this medium of of just um, just falling back in love with yourself. Like, and we wish that for all of us, for ourselves, and for all you listening, that you find that find a path and, and mediums and modalities that let you do that. Amen. like I just uh, had a vulnerability explosion on that episode. And now it's about to continue. Thank you so much to the Brothers Corin. They are truly some of my dearest friends. And I am so grateful to them and just adore them with all my heart. You can check them out at Brothers Corin on Instagram for more information about their incredible programs and their incredible music. And now to continue this uh, vulnerability hangover and explode into another one, um, I am about to let you hear the very first song from the album we created, The Moon Will Stay. This has been a tough year. We lost the matriarch, as you heard in the episode, my grandma uh, of our family at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, technically, she died of double pneumonia. We don't know if it was COVID or not. It was too early for testing when she died. But because of the pandemic, we had to say goodbye on FaceTime. And she died in my grandfather's arms. And my grandfather has uh, dementia. But my family did a sort of Zoom funeral 
uh, the night she died together. And my grandfather, even though he suffered from dementia over the years, really just became the pop-up we all knew and loved again and made us all feel so soothed and loved and just really brought us together as a family in our grief. And I know there's a lot of people out there that have uh, family members suffering from Alzheimer's or dementia and how crazy it can be um, and how difficult emotionally. And one thing I love about my pop-up that is just forever instilled in me is our love of nature. We share that. And growing up, you know, we picked blackberries in his orchard. He had a cabin in the Adirondacks and, you know, I was always barefoot playing in the dirt and canoeing with him and hiking and learning. He went to school for forestry and just, you know, he'd always said that he, that nature was his church. And so I wrote this most of these songs, as you heard, were poems, and the brothers Corin came up with beautiful music inspired by the year we spent together, sort of in our music therapy songwriter's journey. And this was a collaboration of both a poem I had written and inspired by the beautiful music that Torald and Isaac had created. Um, and... My pop-up, uh, I sent him this song before it was released to the world, and he uh, apparently couldn't stop listening. As we all know, uh, there's incredible studies about the healing power of music, especially in Alzheimer's and dementia patients. And so I'm so glad that I was able to write this for him and for him to hear it before we someday will lose him. But not today, because the moon will stay. And we will always have that. So without further ado, <gasps> oh, you guys, I'm so scared for you to hear this. But here it goes. Here is Beth Bears and the Brothers Corin. The moon will stay. I love you, Pop Pop. Form 
Today, my heart.